Welcome to the Saskatoon and Six podcast. Today we're joined by Jeff Leong. He's a friend, a neighbor from Toronto, a Renaissance man, an engineer, an attorney, and most importantly, a dad. And today he joins us to talk about fatherhood. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Uh, the funny thing is Jeff and I uh, were neighbors and our kids were the same age. So we spent a lot of time together and we were in the same dad's group. So we, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about being dads and venting. Uh, and so I thought <laughs> today would be a good day to extend that to the podcast. Uh, the Indian guru, Sadhguru, says you don't raise kids, you raise cattle. His, re- his words really resonated with me because I feel as parents, we allow our egos to determine the way and the methods in which we parent. However, I came to the realization it's not about me and what I want for my kids. All I can do is create a happy and secure and loving environment. Jeff, how do you detach your ego from your role as a parent? Uh, well, firstly, um, that, that Indian guru may be half right there. Sometimes when I'm trying to get my kids to have a bath, it's like herding cattle. So <laughs> 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 a bit of that. Um, you know, I that's one of the first things I thought about when Grace was born, my older one, because it was a very big change in my life. Um, you know, there was the before time when it was just me and then uh, and my partner and then but you know it's uh, you you still have to you know in, in that before time you still get a lot of uh, freedom to care only about yourself right and then and then the kids come along and the change to me is uh, I have I now have a responsibility to their future um, and that's a pretty big shift it's big enough to the point where I think now I don't know how to think the other way. Um, I, I don't really, I don't quite remember what it felt like to be, <laughs> to be that other guy, um, if you know what I mean. And, uh, you know, even though I, it, it's funny the way you put it, you know, it's uh, you let go of, of ego. I'm not sure if I really let that go. And I, in my mind, there's a bit of dissonance because I have, uh, you know, I care a lot about the kids. That's true. But I'm also very realistic. And to provide for those kids in this competitive and unstable world, I also need to achieve outside the home. Uh, you know, I'm a lawyer, and that often requires a keen sense of ego and of strategy and of ways of being that are that don't work really well in the family. Uh, so there is some kind of balance that's required. And, and for me, anyway, it's the uh, you want to for me, I, I am a person at work that I am that I try not to be at home. Um, now during pandemic, when you're working from home, it's uh, the two blended together quite quite a bit sometimes, and it's uh, with some interesting results. Um, you know, you, you know, I think that's interesting um, because you know, to me, when I look at this question or I think about this, it is so hard to do that. Right. And I'm not saying that I do it on all occasions, but, you know, and with our kids and I I know you love your kids tremendously and you think about your kids a lot and the same here. And they're probably going to be the things that we're the most proud of our kids. 
And so it's hard to detach your ego from that. But, you know, the reason why I had that epiphany was I was sitting across from one of our friends here in Saskatchewan and, and her son was reading um, at three. And one day I complimented her on her role in helping her, uh, her son read so early. And then she stops me and she says, Dave, I, I literally was just sitting there. He made himself read. And that's when it hit me that it's not about us, right, at all. And sometimes it's just about creating those safe and secure homes for our kids that they can make themselves into anything they want to be. And that's what I meant by that, is that kind mm -hmm. of it, it's incumbent upon us not to impose our fears, our expectations on our kids. Um, and that's just the realization that I've had. And I don't know if it's necessarily makes me a better parent than anyone else. But for me, that's kind of the way I approach it. Um, and that's what I was getting at um, in that sort of in that framework in, in how I deal with uh, with my kids and trying to separate that ego. And I, I agree with you. There is that dissidence to it. because It's so difficult to do. Right. I, I, I think I, I I see what you mean. There is a I, I there are a lot of times when I think um, that Grace develops um, at a different rate and different ways than other kids. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'll, I'll be perfectly frank with you. My kids are not fast readers, you know, but they're a lot more physical. And they I remember reading somewhere that, you know, kids just kind of they develop uh, at different rates. But there's nonlinear and develop different areas kind of uh, of their own accord. Um, and I just have to let that happen, right? Um, and, you know, it's not, uh, and firstly, I don't actually know what their developmental milestones are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, Carol, my partner, knows a lot more about that than I do. But, um, you know, whenever I catch myself thinking, oh, you know, there's something wrong here, I guess I try to take a step back and go, hang on a second, maybe there's nothing at all, you know? <laughs> No, it, it's funny. We were just having this discussion because we 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 go to the kids go to a, a daycare which is light Montessori, and I, I think uh, or at least Grace was in a Montessori, right? Now. Yes, both in Montessori. Both of them now are right. So um, there's a Montessori that we're going to switch the kids to hopefully pretty soon. And a friend of our, ours said, well, you know, the kids were reading at three and they were doing their multiplication tables at five. And I said to Nitha, oh, I feel like a complete failure. And then Nitha turns, <laughs> my wife turns to me and says, who said to anyone else that they were reading by three or doing their multiplication tables by five? It's like, no, it doesn't matter <laughs> at all. Right. And so, you know, yeah, and it goes exactly to what you were saying. Um, so as you know, when I was leaving Toronto um, shortly before the pandemic, you you had your second. How was how was it going from one to two? Going from Grace to it is. Hey, I'm not gonna lie, it's hard. Mm -hmm. um, there is, a, I think, the biggest challenge, of course. I mean, you know as well as I do. You have two yourself. Um, it's the it's the requirement for simultaneous action and attention. Mm -hmm. right? That is a big change. Um, I mean, certainly now more than before, because when Ella was, Ella's my little one, and uh, certainly when she was a baby, you just stick her in the crib and, you know, that was it. But then she gets up and Ella was actually a very early walker at nine months, she was up and running around. And uh, so that is 
know, sometimes it causes problems, but also opportunities, I think, because there's a, a chance to talk to the kids about how to deal with each other, to accommodate, um, you know, how to be reasonable and fair, you know, things that you, you I mean, I, I'm making it sound very nice, but the fact is it just comes from a lot of conflict. You know? it's, uh, the fact is I'm just, you know, often the arbitrator in a lot of these things. And so yeah. that's where the learning opportunity is. And sometimes the learning opportunity is for me um, in that I can't control what's actually happening. Yeah. Now, now that, and you know, just to close the loop on that, um, the big change is, uh, uh, you know, having children, the impact on personal time is big. Mm. And two, the impact on personal time is even bigger. Uh, so it's, uh, it's been tough. Well. <laughs> I think, I think that's one of the things that people don't realize, you know, in your earlier, in the earlier question, you were talking about, like, you don't remember your past life life before mm, exactly before kids right but it's funny because I, I did a joke a long time ago it was really it hit it was in the cutting room floor it never hit uh the stand-up circle but it was a joke about seeing uh your old life in the rear view mirror and then you want to turn the minivan around and then you realize no you got to keep on going right uh <laughs> i actually do have reflections of my past life and it was so good like being able to travel um, you know, spending a month in India uh, before I had kids, you know, th those are things that I certainly reflect on and wish I could go back. Because as you know, going to a place like India with kids for a month. Oh, that would be, uh, I mean, it was a bit of a challenge when I went to <laughs> India 10 years ago. That was a bit of a challenge and a culture shock even for me. Yeah, I didn't have the kids. You know, can you imagine doing that with the kids going, hey, you know, be careful about the water here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the, the next, the next thing that I wanted to hit on was a little bit of a pivot. Um, but I know it's something that you've, you've kind of discussed, uh, with your group of friends. And it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, there, uh, Jonathan Hyde wrote a book called the coddling of the American mind. It's certainly been forefront to many parents raising kids today. His thesis is that, since the 80s, adults have intervened in the lives of their kids to make it safer, and children are now expecting adults to intervene. We're raising anti-fragile children in a world which is clearly fragile, uh, i.e. the pandemic. Uh, Jeff, what are your views here uh, about, the, about, um, about the ideas presented by uh, Jonathan Hyde in The Coddling of the American Mind? Um, uh, firstly, uh, I, I will admit I have not read the book. <laughs> mm -hmm. However, I did read the Atlantic article. So yeah. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> sure. I, I have read, uh, actually, I've read excerpts from the book and I do have the book here and uh, tried to read it, but uh, never got the time. Basically, um, I do agree with them to a certain extent. Um, it's probably true that, you know, kids today are more protected. Um, I myself find myself <laughs> intervening with the kids' lives probably more often than I think I should. Um, does that make them, I mean, I, I take it when he says anti-fragile, I mean, it, it, maybe I should rephrase, does it actually make them less resilient, you know? I think that's what he's saying. Um, I, I think that's really what he's saying, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm not so sure about that. And 
I am, and, and here's the way I think it. I, I'm going, okay, you, there is a certain aspect of, you know, like, how do you make someone more resilient? You give them the ability to practice making mistakes and hopefully the mistakes don't cost them so much. Um, and, uh, you know, they get stronger with all the practice time, right? That's, that's the theory, I think. Um, however, I think the world today is a bit more complex than it was in the 50s and 60s. And there are more sophisticated ways of causing others harm and also getting, getting hurt. Um, and also, uh, remember that back in the mid 20th century, um, you know, mental health has come a long way since then. Mm -hmm. uh, what was normal back then, today, we might call it traumatic and harmful, right? And, you know, while I think it's good to have kids get practice making the small mistakes, I am under no illusions that some of those big mistakes, uh, they're things that's going to cost them. And uh, it is true, I think, that a person can take a certain amount of damage, uh, even early in life, that can be crippling. Um, and even though, I mean, call me a coddler, but I'm not going to, I'm going to do my best not to let that happen. Mm -hmm. Right. So I guess some balance is needed. I'm not entirely sure everything is about coddling. Everything's about uh, resilience, but I guess, you know, in, in my mind, uh, I'm trying to figure out where that balance is. By the, by the way, when he's talking about fragility, he's borrowing from Nassim Talib. Yes. Um, so that that's his idea there. I mean, I think this is, the, I, I think you've kind of, uh, you've hit on the salient points. I mean, we live in a much more complex world and I think we're aware of the threats much more. You know, one of the things he's taught, he talks about is, you know, things like, you know, there's chill, there's uh, on milk cartons that we have missing kids and we have Amber alerts. So these are things that are much more forefront on people's minds. I think, you know, it's funny coming to Saskatoon, one of the things that I got and, you know, so Jeff and I lived in downtown Toronto um, when we were neighbors, but uh, when we came to Saskatoon, a lot of the, a lot of the parents that would say to me, Hey, look, you know, the cool thing about Saskatoon is you can just let, allow your kids to kind of run away and, and play out by themselves. And it's all right because they're going to come home and they're going to be safe. Because uh, you have a community <laughs> that's going to look after them, which I thought was definitely interesting um, coming from uh, coming from Toronto. Um, you, you know, it's funny. I, I read a on this subject. There was an essay uh, that I read by a writer named, and I'm going to butcher his name. His name is Viet Thon Nguyen. Uh, he's a Vietnamese American writer. Um, he was deeply offended by a book that he read in his adolescence called The Close, Close Quarters. Uh, it's about the Vietnam War. And what he says in this article, which was published in the New York Times recently, is that he nor his parents petitioned the library to remove the book uh, because of its racist depictions. Rather, years later, he wrote his critically acclaimed own novel about the war called The Sympathizer. Um, so a little food for thought of, for, uh, parents out there that maybe sometimes protecting might feel good at the time, but there's a lot of learning opportunities, as you said, you know, resilience, but getting those reps, uh, up in your life of, of things that don't, uh, kind of, uh, destroy you will make you stronger. Um, so 
just a little bit more of a pivot, you know, dads are much more involved in the lives of, of their parents today. You know, I've once read that uh, parents that the parents that were co-parenting co dads that are co-parenting. So meaning that they they're separated from their partner are more involved uh, in their kids' lives than parents uh, of earlier generation. Um, it's often said that uh, there's extrinsic factors like, you know, that have contributed to that. Like, uh, obviously, women are much more involved in the workforce these days. However, as a father, I spend a lot of time reflecting on my own father and the lessons that I've learned um, and the examples they've set for us. Jeff, what have you learned from your dad and what examples has he, has he set for you? Um, <laughs> I, don't know, I, I have a lot of, a lot of memories. My, my dad's still around and he's, uh, he actually lives in our neighborhood. So it's always, it's very, uh, we're, we're very thankful for that. Um, <laughs> you know, especially during a pandemic, believe me. Sure, <laughs> you know, sure, yeah. Uh, now, you know, one of the things my dad was always very good about getting me interested in the physical world around me and maybe that influenced my decision to study engineering. And I don't regret that. And that's something that I try to do with my kids. Um, but one of the things I, I think about a lot these days is he chose a career. He, he was a, uh, an IT professional, and, um, but there are a couple of ways of doing that. And he chose a career path where he was able to balance his professional life with his family life, which is something he never neglected. And I'm thankful for that. And in hindsight, I, I realize how much he must have given up to be present for me and my sister. Um, mm. We were young. Uh, and I may not have chosen the same balance he did, but I'm certainly influenced by it. It certainly makes me think. Um, and, you know, sometimes I was just telling Carol earlier today, you know, maybe the next time the kids interrupt me when I'm working hard on, you know, studying investments or other projects, maybe I can take a step back and think about that instead of becoming really irritated, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that's what makes me, uh, that's what I get from my dad. Yeah. That, that, that's certainly interesting. Do you feel like, I know this is a difficult question, but uh, do you feel like you are more involved in your, in Grace and Ella's uh, life than your dad was? I think in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Um, that's, I guess, because of, perhaps because I'm fortunate, my uh uh, my dad did spend quite a bit of time with us uh, mm -hmm. when we were kids, right? Um, and, and you know, I, I don't have too many memories of my dad um, working his butt off because he had to, you know, work 100-hour weeks or things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, um, yeah, it just, I guess, luckily for our family, that just wasn't, no, that was never a thing, you know? You know, it it from in my household, my mom was it was definitely a matriarchal household. I mean, if you've ever spent time with my parents, you would know that my mom made most of the decisions. But the crazy thing about my dad is he understood risk, which I feel like I'm a little bit averse to. So in terms of the decision to leave Sri Lanka as refugees to come here to Sri Lanka, I mean, to come to Canada, he's the one who spearheaded that decision. Um, the decision to get into insurance in the 80s, he realized that there was a civil war in Sri Lanka and that there would be a mass exodus and these people needed insurance. 
And he thought, okay, let me set, etch my footprint here. So, you know, and, and these, the idea of foresight, the idea of making, making decisions that are kind of might, that people from the outside might assume is laden with risk, but was the best for our family. Um, I think it was important. And that was part of the decision why we decided to, part of the, I think our rationale, Nita and I, to make that drastic move from Toronto to Saskatoon, right? Because we knew it was a decision that was laden with risk, but it was the best decision for our family, right? Um, but yeah, and it's all from my dad, right? And that's probably what I'm most thankful for. And then obviously, as you know, I, I, I joined the insurance hustle uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because of my dad as well. Um, what have you learned about yourself um, after becoming a parent? Uh, quite a lot of things. It's patience is finite. <laughs> um, sleep is also finite. Um, and I know that sleep is a resource that when squandered causes incredible problems for me and everyone around me. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I, I also, um, you know, as a person who is steeped in, um, you know, studying about studying systems of control, you know, first as an engineer and as a lawyer, you know, it's, it's all about trying to, to, to wrestle with the things around you and, and systematize them. Um, it is very difficult to systematize rearing children. Uh, and I, I think one of the things I'm, I'm learning, still learning really is I need to be, I need to, to know what my winning conditions are. I need to be happier with smaller and simpler things. Not that they're, I, I wanna highlight that point. I'm not saying I need to be content with less. What I mean by that is I need to be, I need to learn how to be content with, with I guess, uh, things that actually matter to me. And maybe I need to sit down and think about what actually matters. Uh, I think sometimes I'm not a very contented person um, and I, I want a lot of things. Um, and sometimes I'm willing to, to risk a lot to get them. And uh, there are having uh, the kids really uh, underscores for me what the costs of some of those things are. Uh, and so I need to, you know, really sit down and think about, well, you know, what do I really want, right? Um, and, and this is part of, you know, what I said earlier about how I don't remember a time from, from you know, before being a parent and now. Well, I guess in some ways I still keep some of that with me. I'm still making that transition. And this is one of the ways I'm, I'm doing that. I love, I love the idea of how you frame that from like, you know, professionally what you do, uh, the control systems, whether it being a attorney, you know, where we have, we have laws and rules that you have to follow through or being as an engineer, which is also rule-based in, in its own, own right. But then when you have kids, as we all know, there's an absence of control. It's, it's in that house. I mean, it's funny. I was talking to a good friend of mine in Toronto who's probably going to listen uh, listen to this podcast and he was telling me on a he was pitching me on a business idea that he had and the kids were screaming in the background singing two different songs that no. he <laughs> and he's like I can't hear you Dave and I was like well you know, 
this is the only time I've got. And you're going to have to speak louder than them because they have some great song work that they're working on. Um, you know, it's funny, the two things that I learned about myself was that I realized that I learned how to love for the first time, right? Because when you have kids, you don't want anything back, you know, and every relationship that I had prior to that, whether it was my parents or even my partner is at some level, I wanted something from them in return. Mm -hmm. And for my kids, I didn't want anything. And then secondly, and it might be a contradiction is I learned how selfish I was, you know, Nitha said, let's have three. And I said, let's get a dog. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, we still don't have a dog. Uh, oh. We still have two, though, uh, which was important to me, right? So I learned that uh, these kids are amazing and everything. But, I, you know, there's a semblance of my old life that we've discussed and it's kind of become a topic here. Mm. Um, it, there's a part of that that I want back. Um, and I think two is where my uh is where my constraints are <laughs> personally um so this is a question that i thought was interesting and kind of came up today with us uh both of our both of us you know started our families a little bit later i was 35 when i had uh my eldest pranaya jeff how how old were you when you had uh grace 41 41 so we we started that we started off our lives as parents a little bit later. It's funny because there was a stark contrast when we came to Saskatoon because a lot of people had their kids start their families in their 20s. Um, what, what, what advice would you give to couples or individuals who haven't found a partner? Um, sorry, what advice would you give to couples or individuals who haven't found a partner but feel like they're late to the game? You know, it's it's funny because I, I sometimes have conversations like this with single friends of mine, and yes, I, I who are younger than me, and they uh, yeah they feel like they are late, right? Because oh, you know, I haven't found my significant other by the time I'm twenty five. You know, I'm screwed, right? <laughs> um, well, I used to think that too, you know, um, and you know now that I look back, I think well, hang on, you know, there there are. Uh, I guess I get, as I get older, you recognize that there are a few things in life that are very black and white, right? There are trade-offs to everything. And this is one of them, right? For those people who, uh, you know, don't have a family, or even if they're, they think they're ready to have a family, um, consider all the things that you want to do with your time, you know? <laughs> it's what I've told those friends, like, you have a book you want to write? Maybe now's a good time to do that. You know, because mm -hmm. uh, once those kids come around, you know, you're not going to have too much time to do that. And you, you may also not want to. That's that's also something uh, to keep in mind. It, it changes the way you think about the world. Right? Hmm. So, um, certainly there are some things that are, I would say there are quite a few things that are more difficult to do with the kids around. Now, I say this as a father of two young children. Um, mm -hmm. I have heard and I don't have not experienced, but I've heard that as the kids get older, there's also a bit more time to do those things too. But, um, you know, as I said about trade-offs, I also recognize that there's also a joy to having those young, young kids. And so sometimes when I'm very pressed for time um, and, uh, you know, those kids are bugging me, I try to calm down. I think, well, hang on a second. This is not forever. Enjoy them while they're right here in front of me right now. You know? <laughs> so that's, that's also something I'm, I'm trying to do. Right. Um, yeah, I know I kind of went off script a bit there. <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, what 
I think uh, one of the things you mentioned when you're talking to your single friends, priorities could change. So I, I, I specifically know a friend of mine uh, who said in his 30s he wanted to have a family of four. And, you know, I, I think you got to start really early for that. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, now he's in his 40s and he just had his first. And I was kind of had a chuckle kind of thinking about that. <laughs> and so it, think life changes, right? And oh, yeah. priorities changes. And then there's no script to, uh, to this, right? Um, it's kind of you, whatever happens, happens, right? Um, do you, and this is, again, this is, we'll finish off with this. And this is a question that I've been thinking about. Um, do you feel there's a, and so I should say Jeff and I are both the uh, hyphenated Canadians. Jeff, your, your folks are from Hong Kong, right? Correct. We're, we are Chinese Canadians. Um, as those, do you feel there's a pressure to trans, transmit your cultural traditions to your kids? If there is a pressure, I, I mean, I'm not sure if I'd call it a pressure. I think there is a, um, there's certainly some desire to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and this is a very interesting question because when you talk about something like pressure, you also got to think about where is that pressure coming from? Um, and, you know, are, are, I often ask myself that. I mean, is it because I want to please my parents? Is it because... I feel like I want to learn more about my culture uh, or, you know, where my parents come from. Maybe it's a bit of both. Um, I, to be, I'm not sure which one it is, to be honest. Uh, and, you know, I think, um, is it important to me that my kids um, have some appreciation of that culture? Yes. Um, but how much am I going to insist on it? I mean, I, I don't, probably not a whole lot uh, because I don't, um, I, this is, I'm just speaking for myself personally. I, I, I don't uh, live with a lot of those traditions in my own life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but, you know, I guess going back to what you were saying, you know, if there's a pressure, yeah, sometimes I think, well, maybe I should, right? Um, and, and I'm, I ask myself this sometimes. I mean, well, there there is a value there. There's it's a very old culture, and maybe there are things about it that I don't know. I mean, I know there are things about it that I know nothing about, uh, and that I should transmit some of that to the kids. And but I guess part of it is also my own self doubt about how can I transmit to my children something that I know so little about myself. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a bit of fear in me too, thinking, well, you know, my parents are getting older, you know, and when they're gone, um, is some of that pressure gone? I mean, is, is something lost there? And, um, and and who will I have as my guide to that culture and my link to it? I mean, because in some mm-hmm. ways, they are probably my strongest link to it. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's what's I, going on through my head these days. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think you and I have, like, we've kind of, the other questions that have probably over the years that we've known each other, we've kind of uh, sort of, talked about it i don't think i've asked you this question specifically in our discussions together but it is something you know that's always kind of in the back of my mind especially coming from like my parents coming from sri lanka and then the war and you know tamils have historically kind of fought to be alive right 
and and to thrive and now coming to Canada we've uh, Tamil Canadians are very successful and so I feel like at some level there is that pressure there's all, I feel like sometimes that, that responsibility but what you said you know really resonated resonated with me because I don't practice that in my own life and I feel if I said those things I would be disingenuous with my kids yes and yeah, that's, that's exactly what I feel like sometimes yeah and so I, I like for example the the way you say dad in Tamil is appa and I just make them which is coincidentally the way you say it in Korean as well which is kind of yes um, learned that from Kim's convenience yes <laughs> <laughs> um but it's funny they, they call me dad right which is a which is a small example but I know a lot of people in my circle that are Tamil they get their kids to call them appa which is not something that they do because I feel like that would be disingenuous because when I see myself, I see myself as dad, not appa. You know, language is important sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of responsibility. And in some way, and you you were hitting at this as well in your answer, is that I hope I evolve into that person. That's what I hope for myself. That um, that I can evolve evolve into that person. I mean, one of the things that I that I promised the kids is that we'll go to Sri Lanka one day and we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll go to the places we'll watch like those tourism videos about Sri Lanka and Sri Lanka's um, mm-hmm. got a lot of tourists that come in and say, Hey, look, I'll take you to one of these, uh, these cool places in Sri Lanka. And so that's my little part. Um, so that is all the time we have for today. Um, Jeff, I, I'll just kind of finish off with this. What if, if last last question here? If there was someone that was expecting a child tomorrow, <laughs> what would you say to them? Um, congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that, uh, something substantive is. Uh, I would say that um, uh, everything's about to change. And yes, and and change is something I would say that uh, what I would say, and if I were to give myself advice from four years ago, would be to say, yes, everything's going to change and you should, you should embrace it, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's really nothing else you can do about it anyway. So you might as well make the most of it and and enjoy it for what it is, you know, Uh, and there will be um, things that surprise you. We should, you know, should lean into the surprise. Mm-hmm. Your life will never be the same, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff, for your time. Thank you. <laughs>